This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Navigating the Christian life in a secular world will inevitably stir questions in the lives of thoughtful believers. In Ask Pastor John, Tony Ranke summarizes and organizes 10 years of the most insightful and popular episodes of the Ask Pastor John podcast, allowing readers to quickly and systematically access Piper's insights on hundreds of topics, including Bible reading, dating, social media, mental health, and more. Pick up a copy of Ask Pastor John wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org slash plus to find out how you can get 30% off. This episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast is sponsored by Southern Seminary, training pastors, missionaries, and leaders for gospel service to the ends of the earth. Learn more at sbts.edu. This is the Gospel Coalition podcast, where we seek to renew the contemporary church in the ancient gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. Today's podcast is a talk by Tim Kazee on stories of the gospel's advance around the world. It was recorded at our 2019 National Conference in Indianapolis. For much of my life now, uh, I've had the enormous privilege of traveling and seeing uh, the gospel's advance in dozens of countries uh, around the world and to see the church in all kinds of situations and settings. Uh, the, the, the blessing of worshiping with believers in some ancient, gorgeous edifice or worshiping with believers uh, in uh, a little apartment or in the forest where it would be more easy for easier for us to scatter in case of a police raid. Those are the settings in which I've seen the church, and, and I've seen them in every kind of situation, whether it's in war zones or places of intense persecution or in times of, of peace and plenty. To see the church in all of these different settings has been, it's the, it's the privilege of a lifetime, not only to see but to share with other Christians, and um, I am keenly aware of God's blessing uh, on my life in this regard. I, I have, he's helped me to see, sometimes those of us who have the privilege of traveling, of getting on a plane and going to the other side of the world and, and seeing the global church, we can sometimes get impatient with other Christians who don't get it don't see it, don't have the vision that we have for what God is doing around the world. We can be impatient with people like that. And they just, they don't have the means or the opportunity to see what we see. And, and as, as much as I'm able, I want to bring along with me 
my, my brothers and sisters to see what God is doing um, and, and glory in Him and magnify Him and see the power of His gospel and grow our confidence in the gospel that crosses every kind of barrier. And so that's, uh, that's driven a lot of, of what uh, I'm going to be sharing this, this afternoon. And, uh, and I do that in, in praise of our, our great God. The travel writer Paul Theroux wrote, You go away for a long time and return a different person. You never come all the way back. And I, I understand that uh, in ways in which it's, it's difficult to explain how the things that I have seen and experienced have, have changed me. Um, and some things are very difficult to describe. And in some ways, you never come all the way back um, from um, these journeys. But I wanted to, to in, a, in, a, in an effort to summarize uh, and, and I don't intend for this to be an afternoon of just telling stories. Uh, definitely not. I would want to be a bit better steward of your time than that. But I wanted to summarize some of the big things that God has taught me uh, as I'm coming back. And it may be not even coming all the way back. But, um, but here are three big, big ideas, big things that God has taught me over these years of seeing his people in all sorts of settings, seeing the power of his gospel to cross every kind of barrier. And the first thing that he has taught me is that Jesus is mighty to save. Paul wrote in Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of our persuasive abilities. It's the, the keenness of our argument. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Conversion is not just an intellectual agreement to a certain set of facts. Conversion is an inside-out work of Jesus that's made to last. All right, he does it. And the, the change is so radical that the only way to describe it is as if a person is born a second time. I love the way a brother of mine in Ethiopia describes it. This particular brother was uh, just, to, just to underscore how Jesus is mighty to save. He was the sheikh in his village there in the Great Rift Valley in central Ethiopia. His two sons, through the influence of a pastor in a distant city, became Christians. And he was, if you can imagine the sheikh, like he's the spiritual leader in this, in this little village, how he's going to respond, his two sons become Christians? So he beat them with a horse whip, kicked them out of the house. He disowned his two sons because they had become Christians. And those boys, they prayed for their dad for a year with a 
discipling council of a, of a godly pastor, they prayed for their dad and for the other Muslims in their village. They were the only two Christians out of that town. And through the work of the Spirit of God, the persecutor, Sheikh Jaru, joined the persecuted. He believed on Jesus. Jesus saved him radically. And, and when he describes his conversion, he said, when I became a new person. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying in John 3 to Dr. Nicodemus. But Jesus is mighty to save, and it is the only way to explain and understand the, the way men and women suffer after their conversions. Uh, I remember being with a, a, another brother who had been kicked out of his Muslim family there in, in South Asia, in Bangladesh, and the, his, his family had had his funeral they held his funeral. He was quite alive, but he was dead to them. And being banished from the village, his prospects of, a, of marriage, his prospects of a good job were all over. And I asked him, like, like I'm humanly speaking, like, why would you go through so much trouble? And he said, because Jesus was the only one who could take away the weight of my sin. Jesus is mighty to save. And how we've seen that over and over and over in, in so many testimonies to that truth right here in this room, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it is only by grace that we can know him and come to him. So, first of all, Jesus is mighty to save. And secondly, Christ's kingdom has no borders. When, when we look at a map, we typically see lines, right? There's going to be all the national boundaries and borders and divisions across the world. That's, that's typical if you look at any political map. All lines and colors and divisions and barriers. But if we could somehow see a map of Christ's kingdom, no lines. Because he is gathering to himself a people from every nation, every tribe, every language across the world. His kingdom has no borders. There are no lines. His kingdom crosses every geographic, ethnic, political, and cultural barrier. So we see in Revelation 5, 9, a passage that, that gets me up in the morning. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And what we need to remember here, there's many things, but the, the cultural differences in the church affirm the truth of Revelation 5, 9. And sometimes we can be a little, um, sometimes a little uneasy 
when we see cultural differences in the church. Sometimes we can even be a little annoyed by cultural differences in the church. But rather than being annoyed, we should realize how it affirms the truth of Revelation 5.9. And that's whether those cultural differences are among believers that are across the ocean or across town. Um, I've had people at times encourage me, and, and, and I'm actually thinking about ways in which I could do this, to, to share dispatches from, from the United States. All right? And I, there are so many amazing stories to tell. Um, but I did point out to, to this person that um, we will often accept cultural differences in the church and even like praise God about those cultural differences when there's 3,000 miles of salt water between us and those differences. But if the cultural differences are around the corner or across town, that's a different, that's a different thing somehow. Um, but I, I see here that in Revelation 5-9 that these, uh, these cultural differences are, that we see in the church today are affirmed. Uh, it is a gospel reality of Revelation 5-9. This is why uh, in, this, um, in this book, A Company of Heroes, I, I purposely put together two chapters at the end of the book. The next to the last chapter is a book, uh, is, is a chapter about believers, walking with believers through the streets of Oxford, England. I wanted to go to one of the intellectual capitals of the world. I wanted to go to like past post-Christian, sophisticated people and see the power of the gospel in one of these intellectual centers of the world. The next chapter, we go to pre-literate animists in a tribal area on the border of Cambodia and Laos all right, to show the power of the gospel in that kind of setting as well. Christ's kingdom has no borders, and it crosses all of these, up and down, in and out, all across the globe. And um, it's also true that not only does his kingdom cross continents and cultures, it also crosses the centuries. And think about that. Think about the fact that his kingdom crosses. It's not even bound by time. And so... The, the, the gospel addresses our cultural snobbery, but the gospel also addresses, to use C.S. Lewis's term, our, our chronological snobbery as well, which is a very, it's something to think about right, in all of its beautiful, grace-filled heaven-sent implications. I don't think I have to, to tell you this, but, but Christ, Christ's work, his gospel, is unstoppable. And I, I wish that somehow I could get this message across 
to the Ayatollahs and the supreme leaders and the dictators that are trying to crush Christianity. You take Chairman Xi right now in China, trying to crush the church, arresting pastors and Christians, trying to uh, impose changes on the Bible so that it will become more in, in keeping with Chinese communist principles. It's just like you are wasting your time. This is, what, this is the definition of epic fail. You cannot stop Christ from building his church. So, so go work on your tomb or do something perhaps with a little more practical value. You cannot stop Jesus from his saving purposes. You cannot. And you can go back to the Roman Empire, to the Soviet Empire, to whatever empire. You can't stop. You can't stop Jesus from building his church. The third thing that I have seen and learned is that God is magnified through the individual lives, experiences, and stories of his people. God is magnified through the individual lives, experiences, and stories of his people. Consider this. God's creative work is displayed in places and in things. Right now, there is uh, some very busy bluebirds in my backyard. And I, I just checked in on them two days ago before we, we flew here. And things are happening. And soon, there's going to be some beautiful baby bluebirds in that nest. And I, I know when I see them that I'm going to worship the maker of those baby bluebirds. And I know that uh, a few weeks ago, I was, I was in Australia uh, preaching at a seminary and, and a church there. And having two days off, what better thing to do if you're in Australia is to fly out of Australia and go to Middle Earth uh, to go to New Zealand. <laughs> I was in search of the, the land of Rohan and, um, and Edoras. And I remember standing in that valley, the, 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 the snow-capped mountains, the Green Valley, because it's full summer there now, and the way the sun struck the hillsides, the, the color of the grass, it, it, it turned to gold. And I worshipped there, the maker of all of these things. God's creative power, it's on display in places and things. And his redemptive power is on display through his people. Through his people. And this truth is at the heart of what I want to share today. Now to understand when we say his people, we have to understand something about our familial connection. We're family. Now in my family, I am the keeper of the stuff and the stories. Um, all of the 
anecdotes and the photographs and the letters. I have the, fo I have the letters. I have photographs from eight generations of my family. I have the letters from my great, great, great grandfather who served under the command of General Stonewall Jackson in a war that neither one of them would survive. I still have his letters. I have the cufflinks that my father wore on his wedding day. I wore them on my wedding day. And I'm always the go-to person for those stories or those family reunions because I, I've got all of this information and all of these, all of these pictures and things. And, um, and, and even, I would say, uh, on my phone, I have thousands of pictures on my phone, and half of them are pictures of my grandson. <laughs> so uh, anyone interested afterwards? Now, my daughter doesn't do this, but if, if my daughter posted pictures of my grandson on Instagram every day, I would be liking them and commenting and sharing. But if someone else did that, like sending a steady parade of you know, cute grins and preschool milestones, I would quietly just check out. All right. Now, I am, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in your grandchildren and all your pictures, okay. I'm genuinely interested in seeing the, the pictures from other families and hearing their stories. I'm really interested in that, but only to a certain point. And you all know it. You don't want to see all those pictures I have of my grandson, and I get it. I would be, I think you were a little strange if you wanted to see 3,000 pictures of my grandson. Right. So, so why the difference? Like, why can you be so intensely interested in those pictures and that stuff and those stories and someone else that you love dearly? It's like, okay, that's great. Yeah, I'm happy for you. All right. The reason is, it's not your family. You are not connected in the same way all right, as you are with your family, your stuff, your stories, your pictures. That's just the way it is. Now, this is, this is so true uh, when we think about this family that we're a part of by grace alone through Christ alone. Families are generally connected across generations by birth and by blood. But this family is created by a second birth through the blood of Christ. And our earthly ties, just like our lives, are precious and fragile and fleeting. But Christ's family, which he has adopted us into, is everlasting. And our lives are forever bound up in his unending life. And therefore, we are bound to all other believers as well. We're family. And it is truly a mystery of grace that this big, scattered, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, fractious, and seemingly dysfunctional family, um, that in this we have a bond with each other that is deeper than blood, and it is stronger than death. Think of that. And we all need to be reminded that we are part of something so much bigger 
than ourselves. And, and there are Christians that I have met, and perhaps they may be in this room to some degree that have the sense that the church is in decline. We have to be reminded beyond our fears and beyond our circumstances that the church is not in decline, that God is not in some cosmic tug of war, and we hope he's going to win, and he, we know he's going to pull it out at the end. He's not going to pull it out at the end. He's already pulled it out. Peter wrote to fearful, beaten-down Christians in his first epistle. He said, reminding them, now keep in mind, just like a, just like a, a Jeru that I mentioned in Bangladesh who's been kicked out of his home and his family's had his funeral, we probably, most of us in this room anyway, don't have a category for that sense of rejection that experience of being isolated and rejected. But the Christians that Peter is writing to, they, they, they felt that. But he's reminding them of this. You are, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation. Oh, and this is beautiful. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love, love this sentence. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yeah. We're part of this by God's grace. Many years ago, I was in Albania shortly after the, the communist dictatorship fell after a long generation. It was one of the most, Albania was, was considered the North Korea of Eastern Europe. Uh, when communism collapsed in 19, around 1990, 91, there was no known church in the entire country. But God showed great mercy to Albanians and gospel was preached there and Within 20 years, there were churches in every city and in most towns uh, throughout Albania. But during those, those very first years, uh, a missionary friend invited me to come and do a, a short series on church history to these first-generation Christians. And um, it was such a delight. So to this group of 40 or 50 first-generation Christians... I began to walk through the story of the church. And I began to teach night after night. And they began to see night after night that the gospel that they had heard and believed was the same gospel that Paul and Polycarp and Perpetua believed and died for. And it was the same gospel that, that Luther defended and that Hudson Taylor sailed to the other side of the world to preach. And, and the Bible that, that William Tyndall put into English and William Carey put into Bengali was the same Bible that their pastor preached in Albanian. It was just like the light began to come on in their eyes. And, and, and I will never forget their joy because... 
almost all of these men and women had been told by their families that you are part of a cult. You, you, you drank the Kool-Aid. You're just a fool. This is just a passing thing. This is just a cult. And they were rejected and despised for what they were doing and who they said they were now and where they were going. But now they saw that they were part of something so much bigger. The church was not just 40 or 50 people sitting around on fold-up chairs in an apartment. By, By God's grace, they were part of something that Jesus started centuries before. And they were part of his, his unfolding story. And when they met this company of heroes from church history, uh, you could just see that it just put iron in their soul. And it gave them perspective, gospel perspective, to endure the ridicule and persecution that they experienced. So it was a, it was a beautiful thing um, for them to... Um, grasp their part in this big story to get gospel perspective on their lives and what they were facing. So it was, it was a privilege to give them this gospel perspective. And I have also been the recipient of gospel perspective many times from my brothers and sisters. And I, I recall an experience in, in Pakistan a few years ago, um, I was there to um, meet Christians who had gone through some intense times of persecution, and and uh, and yet during that time, we we got word that a Christian community uh, several hours away had been attacked. There were 300 Christian families, and all the churches in the town had been burned down. And the Christians' homes had been looted, and some had been burned down, and many of the Christians had been assaulted. And so we went. And uh, it was a devastating scene. Parents with their kids, just kids crying, parents crying, churches in ashes. And, and looking at all this, and you feel so helpless in a situation like this. And it was, it was overwhelming. And it was no one to turn to. I mean, I, I, I talked very straight to the police chief about what was going on there, but they had all had a hand in what was going on there. Uh, so who do you turn to? And just standing there in the, in the ashes of this charred Salvation Army church in this little town in central Pakistan, this, this Christian came up to me and in broken English, just began to quote to me from John 14. He just started saying, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then he quoted Jesus again 
from Revelation 2. He said to me, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Suddenly, I had much-needed gospel perspective uh, in the midst of so much ruin and ashes and suffering. So I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters who have caused me to, to lift up my eyes and see Jesus. So, what does, what does this mean for you? I... I, I really don't want you to just leave here and think, wow, there's a lot going on in the world, and wow, that guy's traveled a lot, or, or whatever would, would be on your mind about that. that I, I, want, I want you to share in his glory more and more. I want to share in it more and more. As grace extends to more and more people, it may increase our thanksgiving and increases glory, the glory of God. So what can we do to, to share more and more in this glory? How can we grow in these ways of gospel perspective in light of this amazing family that we have been adopted into? How can we grow in these ways so that our thanksgiving increases and the glory of God, he's magnified more and more before us? And so let me just suggest a few ways in which we can do that. And the first is perhaps an obvious one, but let's not overlook it in our busy, busy lives. It is to read to read. John Piper put it this way. He said, What I have found is that in my pastoral disappointments and discouragements, there is a great power for perseverance in keeping before me the life of a man who surmounted great obstacles in obedience to God's call by the power of God's grace. I need very much this inspiration from another age because I know that I am in in great measure a child of my times. And when you are surrounded by a society of emotionally fragile quitters, and when you see a good bit of that ethos in yourself, you need to spend time with people, whether dead or alive, whose lives prove there is another way to live. Read the lives of men and women who show us there's another way to live. Recently, I read from the um, author Hannah Anderson. She was, she was talking about the two things that shaped her vision of womanhood as a little girl. And she said there were two influences. One was reading Nancy Drew Mysteries. All right. And the second was, was reading the stories of Amy Carmichael and Mary Slessor. And she described Carmichael and Slessor as her spiritual godmothers that shaped her vision of womanhood, Christian womanhood, even as a little girl. The power of reading and keeping before us 
the lives of those who show us that there is another way to live. The second way in which we can grow in our thanksgiving and understanding of what God is doing as Christ is building his church all over the world, and even in where we live, in our places, is, is sharing sharing in this more and more. You don't have to go to Ethiopia or Pakistan or Bangladesh to see the power of the gospel. There are stories of grace all around us. And so have the curiosity to ask questions. Ask questions of your brothers and sisters. My, my father said something to me years ago that was startling to me, but uh, I understood because I was sharing with him, I was sharing with my father what his father had experienced as a little boy or during the war or all of these little stories and, and anecdotes. And he turned to me and he said, you know more about my father than I do. And, and they were close, but, but what, what it was was that even as a, I can remember as a you know, 10-year-old boy sitting there with my grandfather and asking him what his life was like. And not just like, oh, well, you know, that was a long time ago. No, I was never satisfied with that. We had to get deep, all right? Maybe we'd take a walk down one of those dirt roads there on his farm and I would ask him the stories of what it was like when he was growing up and these experiences, and I was writing it all down. All right. All right. And so eventually my dad would tell me, hey, you know more about my father than I do, because he perhaps never spent that time asking those questions and recording those stories. So talk to your brothers and sisters. And yeah, ask them their favorite verse and their favorite hymn. There, there's definitely insight in that, but, but, but go deeper to be able to trace the path of God's providence in their life and see that He is at work. And, and so have curiosity and ask those questions. A, 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 appropriate, I realize that, that not everyone's open to talking, but I, I found that if, if the relationship is there, you can, you can talk to people. So, so talk to them, not to dig down into their life and, and post something on social media. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about for the purpose. This is purposeful curiosity. For the purpose in your own life and in theirs of seeing God greater and greater. All right? Because we can never have too big a vision of our God. All right. So curiosity. Careful, purposeful questions to wake, go deeper and see how God's promises are being fulfilled in the life of a brother or sister. And then I would say along with that is have expectancy. Like actually believe and, and, and expect that God is at work in a person's life. And you're looking for ways to see God working in those situations. Um, I've been changed by what I've heard and what I've seen, and I want to be changed. And I'm not, I'm not there yet. But we should want to be changed by what we're hearing 
the expectancy that's driving us to, to know, actually to take an interest in our family, All right, our Christian family. So read and ask and search out those stories from the other side of the world. Yeah, sure, do that. They're inspiring. They're blessing. They're helpful. But I, I want to caution you on this, especially as someone who has related a lot of stories from the other side of the world, that we can have the tendency to think that, oh, God is at work over there. All right, That's where the super Christians are. The amazing Christians are over there. Over here, not, not so much. Now, somehow there is a diminished understanding of the gospel. when We think that the, the grass is greener over there and God's working more over there. You know, remember, remember, Christ's kingdom has no borders. All right. So he is calling men and women to himself from all over the world. And as his spirit is working in their lives and they are making his priorities their priorities and they're following hard after their cross bearer, those are the amazing Christians, regardless of their citizenship on, 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 on earth. All right. And so there are amazing Christians over there. And there are some, also some Christians that are duds so to speak, all right? just as there are amazing Christians over here. All right? Some of them are sitting right here in this room. All right? We're sitting together. And then maybe there's a, I couldn't say that here. <laughs> no. See what I'm saying? It's not about where we are. It's about, it's about Jesus and what he is accomplishing. So, Let's not get this myopic view that, that it's only happening over there and not over here. The greatest Christians are not over there, and the greatest Christians are not over here. Christ is the greatest. So let's follow him. So, listen, learn from the stories from afar, but also listen and learn from those stories that are closer to home. Because they are powerful. And they are near us. They are near reminders of grace, of Jesus' presence with his people. I've got a friend right now, last fall, at 57, he learned that he had stage four cancer throughout his body. And we've sat together and wept together, and I've, I've, I've held his hand that is shaking and throbbing with pain as we prayed together. And it's been a, it's been a dark, difficult valley, but, but recently, very recently, he told me that he's a, he works in, a, he works in a, an auto shop. He fixes cars. And his, he had his old work boots, and, and he decided that he would send them off to get them resold. And he also told me just a few days ago that he has planted carrots 
and cauliflower in his backyard garden. And we are hoping to, to, to harvest, to cut the cauliflower in May. All right. What I, I saw in my brother were these beautiful glimpses of hope and peace and trust that Jesus is giving him as he's walking through a very difficult valley. And so don't just look on the other side of the world to see the power of God's grace right here at home. Maybe some brother or sister that's in your small group in your church, you need to be talking to them. They are family, and they are in a position because God is at work in their lives to point us to him over and over. So read and share, and finally, worship. Because this, all that I'm saying, this is not about you becoming like having curiosity and expectancy and asking the right questions and probing and getting deeper purposefully to, you know, in order to what? Become a writer? Really, no, not necessarily that. No. So that you and I will become worshipers. We need to worship more and more. And um, this is the passage I've referenced a few times today, but I want to read from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul writes, Since we have the same spirit of faith to, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, do not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, tell these stories. Tell these stories to yourself Tell them to your kids. The Lord has blessed you with children. Tell them to others in your small group, and your church. Allow thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God because you're sharing in your family's stories. Create this culture in your home and your church of expectation and wonder because God is magnified through the individual lives stories, experiences of his people. And these stories of grace, every one of them, including your own, are reminders that Jesus is alive and he's present and he is mighty to save. You've been listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org. Support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. Learn more and join us at tgc.org slash donate.